So if we're looking to save a group of people, we're keep them safe, like at the university. Mm-hmm. For the sake of the group, we're gonna we're going to enforce a bunch of things on the individuals. And let's say, like this does, it on undermines the autonomy of the individual, which is the thing that allows them to keep themselves safe in some sense. If you infantilize people, they they aren't gonna be useful right. for themselves. And and because the group is consisted of, it doesn't exist as an entity in its own that can be protected without the individuals. It is comprised of individuals. Then any infringement that infantilizes these individuals is making the group unsafe. So in an attempt to make the group safe, you make it unsafe. So it doesn't even hold up by its own standards. It, mm-hmm. it makes no sense. If you want to, if you want to protect people, there are reasonable ways of doing so. The question is, there's a value here between autonomy, a value conflict between yeah. autonomy and safety. Hello, everyone, and welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Feeding Curiosity podcast. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever their curiosity takes them. And by human experience, we mean making sense of the events of our life and how we can take those experiences to live the most fulfilling life that we can. And it's my hope that through these conversations, you can take away blueprints to learn and lead a more fulfilling life for yourself. And with that, everyone, please enjoy today's conversation. On today's podcast, I am joined by my friend, Joe Joukowsky. And in this episode, we have a discussion around what has been happening in University of Michigan as this pandemic unfolds, the different policies that the university are putting in place there. Beyond that, the discussion shifts into how to think about the issue of the pandemic. What it seems to come down to is this idea between safety and autonomy for the individual. I know that's a very Western thing to say is just autonomy for the individual. I think it's really important that we don't, limit the individual's autonomy too much in this scenario because if we become too accustomed with limiting that getting that freedom back will be very difficult as this pandemic becomes under control toward the end of this conversation we talk about all their effects that this pandemic has around discussions with nuanced thinking and just dealing with complex problems at a larger scale And we just close out with thinking about how technology exasperates some of these issues, which we will pin for a future conversation on the Social Dilemma movie. So if you're interested in the Social Dilemma or have not watched it and want to hear our thoughts on it, I would highly recommend you watch that film and then stay tuned for the next episode. And with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Joe Joukowsky. I was going to talk about the insanity that's going on at UM. Yeah. Because I feel it like has. most schools are probably going to similar degrees of insanity. I wonder. I'd be curious. Maybe not as much. I don't know. I'm sure they're going through in strange and insane things, but I'm not sure if it's all the same types of things that they're going through. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'll stick to UM and maybe if we want, we can drift to other schools. But I don't know. Not the point. <laughs> yeah. This semester has been insane. So it's all online for me. You can have in-person classes, 
But in order to do them, you have to – in order to get into a building, you have to have a questionnaire that you fill out every day that says – I Like a self-survey? I, I don't have COVID. Right. Yeah. Then they'll let you in the building. They also had everybody do a like training thing where it's, here's all the things you should do if you have COVID or in consideration of COVID and all this. Now – I had known before this had happened. Like an awareness training almost? Is that that's Basically. what it sounds like? Because it sounds like something they're just like, oh, here's to make you aware of how to deal with this thing. But it's also a sort of covert way of guilting you into doing specific things, which I'll get to in a second. So things I disagree with. I'm in the CCAC, the Campus Climate Advisory Council. So that was initially a group of student leaders who were assembled to advise the university on running the debate in 2020. So that debate was the one that just happened, was supposed to happen at UM. Now that got canceled and it was a whole thing. So when it got canceled, they basically transferred the advising from COVID to, or from, from the debate to COVID. And one of the things that they were coming up with for dealing with COVID was a thing called the Michigan Ambassadors, the CARE Ambassadors, what they called them. Now, the name hopped around a little bit. It was CARE Ambassadors and Michigan Ambassadors. But basically, their job, according to the application that they put out, the job application, was 70% of it was for off-campus canvassing. Now, Hmm. what does that mean? Yeah, (laughs) it's a very vague term. Yeah. They were supposed to go out and walk around off campus and find people that were students and report them to the – either tell them to stop not wearing masks, stop hanging out with nine people. You shouldn't be here, these kind of things. Whatever, break it up. Hmm. And enforce the university's rules, their rules, which can be separate from the state by the way. Yeah. Their rules – off of their campus. It, right? it seems strange to me because the first my first thought is that what would in what would get an individual or a group of individuals to take them seriously, whoever they were? Yeah. It's not like they're police or someone in uniform that you would have right. to be where does their authority come from? Yeah. Their authority comes from the threat of academic punishment. So the university was using them as a means to enforce their guidelines with threat of punishment by the university against people who are doing these things off campus. So Hmm. they recognized a problem, the university did, which is that they can enforce their rules in their dorms and whatever, but how can we make our students do what we want them to do if we don't have any control over what the place where they're doing it. Now, they as university police couldn't go off campus and start enforcing this. AAPD could. I'll get to that. Yeah. But they don't have the jurisdiction in some sense. So what they thought they could do was to take students and make those students go off campus where they're allowed to go, where the university can't, but they can't because they're students. 
and tell people. That's so weird and so slippery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, oh. the reaction that I got from a bunch of people when I first started talking about this, my reaction was, what do you have to enforce university guidelines off of university property? Are you going to come? What does off campus mean? Are you going to come to my apartment a mile out, mile, two miles outside of campus and tell me that I can't have a bunch of friends over for the fight? And am I going to be punished for that? What do you have to do that? What right do you have to do that if your restrictions as a university are more strict than the state? Because maybe you could say the state has made this decision. You need to follow the state's executive, the governor's executive order, blah, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. At a minimum. But insofar as you're doing more than that, what do you have to enforce this upon me when I'm not in your property? I feel like it's one thing if you're on student dorms or right, right. Exactly. It on, is a different in thing. a building or whatever on campus. But in some that. sense, that's where that would make sense. That'd be reasonable because they are responsible for their the dorms, their property, all this stuff. But now they're stepping outside their bounds. Definitely. It's what why did they feel I guess it maybe this isn't the right word, but it's almost like a righteousness thing. Yeah, what it really is, it's what do you have to do this? Now especially like conscripting students. Because yeah. one, students don't have jobs right now, or a lack of income, just in general, because most things are closed. So the people who need that job are the people who need it the most. Yeah. So they're going to do whatever they need to do just to make some sort of living. Yep. You are recruiting from the underclass to enforce guidelines outside of their jurisdiction. Weird. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing that's happening. Now, you could ask what happens if this person approaches me when I have a bunch of friends outside let's even make it bad let's even say that i'm doing something bad like a party indoors in right, a let's tiny say I'm a room party or something <laughs> apartment and, maybe yeah whatever let's say or let's say i'm outside i'm having a few beers with friends or something i don't care whatever we're watching the game i don't know they're coming to my apartment my apartment's well enough outside class but that's technically off campus and you didn't draw the boundaries on what that means so they come to my apartment and they tell – and one of these ambassadors tells me – care ambassadors tells me, give me your UMID. I need to report you to the university. I tell them to piss off because that's exactly what I would do because I don't respect their authority whatsoever. I tell them to piss off. Then what? They call the cops? Right. Theoretically? That's the thing. So UM created a hotline where you call – any student can call into the hotline. And report other students for doing things that seem like they might be in violation of safety. I've heard this before. Right. <laughs> and here's even the crazier part. Not only do they have this hotline for snitching. Right. But it goes out to both UMPD, the university's security – and Ann Arbor Police Department, AAPD. So the question now is, why the hell is the city's police department enforcing the university's guidelines? 
feels like a wires crossed type of scenario. What does this, where did the university get the power to wield the state? Yeah, that doesn't make any, that's backwards. I'm sorry. What? And you're going to, and how about this? What does the university have to know any record of mine? Let's say I do something that violate, let's say I get a DUI. Right. Why should the university get to know that? Is it affecting my academics? Why do you have the right to my record? You shouldn't, in my opinion. Unless May, I could say if it's a felony, I could understand. Yes, that's different. But if, like, for instance, unless you were like drunk and disorderly in class. But even then you're in class. So now it's the right. university's <laughs> responsibility to <laughs> make sure you're not being an asshole. Yeah. Like I, everything is while you're in the vicinity of the school. In my example here, I went to school 60 miles away from where I live. So if. Is if, that off campus? Damn well should be if it ain't. <laughs> well, then by university guidelines, they can come to your freaking house. Hell no. <laughs> 60 miles away. <laughs> Whatever. Especially, it's even further for work. It's probably like 70. So it's like, then my place of work falls into their jurisdiction. Right. They then? never defined off campus. <laughs> like, what the hell? No. With, they say they're being trained by who? Administrators. Nobody knows the actual they're ways to trained, around this. They're being trained by administrators. Who have what experience with policing exactly? Very little, if any. Right, so now you have a bunch of students who are recruited from the underclass who are enforcing UM guidelines off campus where the university has no jurisdiction who are trained by people with no policing standards whatsoever. That's not a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I'm sure everything will be fucking fine. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a horrible power grab. Looking, It's an opportunity to power grab disguised as a safety measure. And and that's the thing emergency that, powers. That is the thing that bothered me the most was that and they're wielding and they're wielding the state's power. That's weird. as a university. It's like how did the U of M become bigger than the state? Yeah, and and who the hell at AAPD agreed to this? That take that dude's job, get rid of him. It's weird to me because I know there's a lot. It feels like this loyalty to schools. There's a lot of loyalty locally to schools. Yeah. And feels like that loyalty is being conflated here or, or leveraged yeah. as a as a driver to get these things done because it's oh U of M always does great things. I, I don't think it's loyalty. I think no. that U M is wielding its power against the, the state. Now I'm speculating. I'm here, so I'm speculating bullshit. too, just trying to think of how people in government or in right. the, the university has a is Ann Arbor. Makes huge sense. impact on everything. They're probably the economic powerhouse of that area that drives just about everything else. And I'm pretty sure they're officially the number one employer in the state. Wow. Since the loss of a lot of car manufacturing. Right, right? yeah. That used to be in Detroit. So they have a huge economic force behind them and appealing the university seems to me to be something that would be in the benefit, so on, so to speak, of mm -hmm. AAPD. And I can imagine them getting leveraged. Um, now, again, this is speculation. This could be bullshit. Who knows? It right. could be that they have a great relationship. And because they have a great relationship, buddy from APD and buddy from university go out for beers on Saturday. And <laughs> right. they're like, yeah, I got your back. Totally. I don't know. But right. it doesn't matter because the issue is that the university has no right to wield that. And insofar as the guidelines aren't a perfect match with what the state's guidelines already are, then – AAPD shouldn't be enforcing those guidelines that are go beyond what the state says because mm -hmm. it's not UMs to determine what happens on off of campus 
and enforced by one, their students who are coming off campus to do this, and two, by ABD. Yeah, that's very strange because you'd think you'd know what the definition of off campus is because when you sign up for school, you mark whether or not you are on or off campus. And generally all that means is that you're living in the dorms or not. So I guess if you use that guideline, then all of a sudden anything that is not a dorm now becomes part of their jurisdiction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is insane. Right. It's nuts. And what it looks like to me is two things. One, what they're going to do is create a culture of distrust amongst the students. Because you've just created an underground community policing effort mm-hmm. amongst the population body to go out and report their fellow students for behaviors that can be even subjectively interpreted as violating some safety standards. Were they going to offer a reward to students who, who turn people in? No, but they were paying them. If they were going to offer a reward, that'd be fucking terrifying. Well, that's what I was like worried about because... Yeah, like the LA mayors. Yes, it, yeah. exactly that. Because as soon as you start offering rewards for people to report bad behavior... Right, now you're incentivizing bullshit. Yeah, because then people can fabricate things and if someone doesn't like somebody right, or because It immediately whatever. becomes he said, she said. If there's no real standard for evidence. Yeah. And... It makes people all distrust each other. But anyway. Just what we need more of right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, I'm sure, will go great. Jeez. It's just a re- – like, you're not right – or not wrong. It is it is a recipe of disaster yeah. in the making. So actually, an- another thing that I just thought of that it actually did is it – so one of the guidelines for these people for how they should canvas off campus was that they should do so through an equity, inclusion, and – um Diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm-hmm. Lens. So what does that mean? Okay, so if you don't if you don't live in the university world, you don't. It just sounds like words at face value. Diversity sounds good. Equity sounds. It's all good. buzzwords. And inclusion, cool. I like to include people. Awesome. But those three things together do not indicate that they are means of triangulating an ideology, and that ideology is hierarchically race-based. And now I know I'm going to have to move through a whole bunch of things here, but it's this, it's the idea of essentially intersectionality mm-hmm. and you have a whole bunch of intersections of different identities and some identities have a lot of privilege and some don't. And those that don't should be benefited as a result of their lack of privilege to get everyone on the same plane. That's the idea. Now, what does that mean? Now, since some of those identities are, most of those identities are immutable, Right, they're just innate things. Your race, for example, you're, you're not going to change that shit. You're like, born with it, whatever your race is. That means that the lens of interpreting how to enforce the rules off campus will include racial hierarchical arrangement. So they will be enfor- unequally enforcing these rules based on the race of the people that they're coming across. What? That's what they're suggesting. Now they're ex- suggesting it implicitly. They won't say it outright. That's what that's what's so genius about the branding of diversity, equity, inclusion. It all sounds nice, and nobody actually wants to speak out loud what it is because not saying it explicitly gives them the protection. It's camouflage, right? So they can go and say just interpret in diversity, equity, inclusion, and then before you look at the statistics, and in this context, it would be that you're not getting it enforced on 
any individuals that have minority identities and you get it a lot enforced on white people. Right. Weird. And they're, they are suggesting that you do that. In fact, it is one of the requirements of the job. You do that. So now we're having, hypothetically, right. enforcement of the rules with unequal enforcement of the rules based on race. Or gender. Or right, yeah. I mean, that's so... Again, that's such a strange turn of events where these things become... It's inverted. Or yeah. negative, like a negative world where everything is <laughs> the opposite way. And yeah. now all of a sudden you have a world in when reverse racism is the okay. If this happened for one group of people, then it's okay for the other group of people yeah. for it to happen too. And they want to use the whole power of the state to do it. Right. So I could have, or anyone, could have serious consequences of their career, their, not only their career as a result of their education, but it affects their education, which affects their career. Mm -hmm. But you could also have that the they have this marked on their record because the AAP has been called to do this. So, there's, so now it goes a, on your student record that you were... So you're getting double hit. Bang, oh. bang. Right, you're getting hit by the state and you're being hit by the university. So you're being double punished, which is a thing you can't actually do in real legal yeah, proceedings. Like you if you get tried in a higher court, the lower court can't retry you. Exactly. But that's what they're trying to do in spirit. They're doing that. Weird. So the underlying <laughs> – so what's like the abstract takeaway? The university, under the guise of aiming at care and safety – is pushing its power far beyond its bounds and it's pushing its power far beyond its bounds. It's taking advantage yeah, and, of the situation and just gaining power. And I feel someone who's out there, it's for the safety of our students. If you took that side of it, yeah. I get it. I get why they would come from that angle. But again, any power gained in any scenario, the structure that, would be does not want to give that back once yeah. this crisis of COVID goes away. Because if we do this right, there will be a vaccine at some point in the near future that will be effective enough that things reopen and that this kind of policy would not matter. Yeah. But if this were to be granted, I don't see a world in which they say, we'll just put, we'll just go back to, we don't need that anymore. We yeah. won't need, like it, once these things get right. put in place, it doesn't do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And let's be the most charitable for them possible. So imagine that they really do care about their students. Yeah. That they're really concerned about. They're just trying to do the right thing right. implementing something. Right. To, and they're like, we it. aren't sure what to do. We need to do everything that we can to make sure that our students aren't getting infected with this potentially deadly disease. Mm -hmm. So they make all of these rules. But that still says nothing about whether or not they have the right to expand their power in such a way as they are. Yeah. And just like you said, you're absolutely right to point out that this is going to come to an end at some point. And the chance that they just let that go. Why, if you're having problems enforcing, let's say frat houses and sororities are having parties off campus and the university would love to shut them down because it makes them look bad They're when photos... leaving garbage all over the place or something ridiculous. Well, even that, AAPD <laughs> could 
intervene. But yeah, I guess you hear stories. Parents start hearing stories about these crazy mm-hmm. frat parties at UN. Yeah, grapevine stuff, right? Right, and now <laughs> they're like, that makes us look bad, and we don't want that. The so we would love it if we could just shut them down. Mm-hmm. We can't go off campus, but you know who we have already that can? Michigan ambassadors. We've already got the infrastructure built. Let's mm-hmm. just refocus. Yeah, that's that was my next point. Is how does this play... morph into different? permutations of the same thing and they play the same language game it's for the safety of our students right a student x number of years ago died of alcohol poisoning we can't let that happen again Mm -hmm. we are maintaining the student we already have these ambassadors it has been going fine what do you mean something could go wrong has something gone wrong (laughs) over the last three months look at these numbers look oh look how many things and then they just play with the statistics right look at how many situations they've helped here's all these like oh they interacted reviews and stuff and we never had any altercations or like none of that they just keep playing that your concerns are overblown and now that inch has turned into a mile see all of this really strikes a chord for me where it's like when you implement a system like this, it's with good intentions to solve a short-term problem. But the problem is that we can not anticipate the long-term effects, the downstream effects, the second and third order things that will arise from these things that you institute. And I mean, in many ways, that's why most problems happen in any corporation, business, or whatever you name it. It's solving a problem because it needs to get solved today. Yeah. And you say, can you implement it now? And can it come in under budget? Okay, good. Do it right now. Yeah. But they don't stop themselves and say, how can this be used against itself to actually harm people in the future? Yeah. Because that's usually the problem. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they <clears throat> I don't think that they have the I don't know ability, desire, whatever to look out into the future and ask what the secondary effects of this are. What are the consequences of our actions mm-hmm. besides the intended ones? Because every action we take is going to have some in- unintended consequences. Is there any action that is 100% without consequence? Oh, definitely not without consequence. That's just like a philosophical I mean, even, question. Even thought has consequence. Because <laughs> if I think of something, then I'm making sure that the neurons that are connected maintain that connection and I have that right. memory. To limit a thought of another thing. So even to just think and not act is to have a consequence. And you're, and if you play that game out long enough, then you're, the amount of energy that you're putting into that kind of a thought can, well, can turn into rumination, for example. Right, yeah. And now there are consequences <laughs> – that you might not see down the road from just something like thinking. Mm-hmm. Depression. Yeah, just using a philosophical like lens of just using thought as your example. Right. Is there uh, – and I use that example in part because it's innocuous. If I just think about something without acting, right. there are even consequences to the thought. Yeah. And so the idea that you can go into a complex system and alter it largely enough and shift around the dynamic of power – and expect there not to be any unforeseen consequences is insane. Yeah. And so here we are playing that game. I I have a really hard time with systems 
as large as, say, a university instituting more control on students. And I know you wrote the piece, an op-ed piece at the U of M paper. Yeah, Michigan Daily, yeah. And and I think you nailed it with one of your quotes, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I haven't read it in a little while, but you basically said this is infringing upon the autonomy of the student. Yeah. And I really, I, I resonate with that a lot because the, I think we have to respect the autonomy of the individual, especially in this pandemic scenario, because every person's, risk appetite it's not maybe not the right word i want to use but like our level of risk tolerance i guess maybe is better where we're accepting of the threats of what this virus may be for ourselves is highly personalized yeah every person is going to look at this and interpret the data and the science of how much risk this has of being contracted and be like, yes, maybe I will get this if I go to this party and go hang out with my friends. But the social benefit of going to hang out with my friends does more for my own well-being than staying inside and, and sheltering in place because of the threat of the virus. Right. And this is a risk assessment game that we have not played out as a society. No. Because the, the question ends up becoming to some degree. And I don't have the answer to this. No, I don't either. I don't, I don't want to pretend that I do. <laughs> I'm just bringing up this because I think we have to, we do this all the time without knowing it. Oh yeah. But always, <laughs> I think it was Kierkegaard had a thing about this that mm. I think the book was either or is that there's this idea that no matter what you choose, you're going to regret it. It doesn't matter. It that's, doesn't matter. What that's you super interesting. There's some amount of regret associated with every single thing that you do because in so far as you make a choice and it's at the consequence or at the loss of another choice, I, I could do X or Y, yeah, and yeah. I choose X, then I and I can't choose Y as a result. Then I'm going to regret some facet of not having done Y. Mm-hmm. But if I pick Y, then I'm going to end up regretting to some degree something about X, right? That yeah. I could do that. Do that. It's like what people do with relationships. Right. It's like, oh man, too bad I didn't meet that person two years later because now if I knew what I know now, I could have made that better. And, and <laughs> just play this out and not. An even much more simpler form of, I should go talk to that person. Yeah. If I do talk to that person, I may regret it because of the rejection. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the thing that I regret about not doing is the fact that I didn't avoid the rejection. And then the other way would be, oh, I didn't talk to this person. Now I'm left regretting the fact that I'll never know if I was going to get rejected or not. And does it doesn't matter what you do. You're always screwed. And Thomas Sowell talks about this. He thinks that there's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. Oh. And you just hope to trade off for something that is slightly better than the thing you had before. And you just keep trading mm-hmm. until your paper clip turns into a brand new house. Trade <laughs> up and trade up and trade up. Yeah. That's an interesting thought because it because I think of everything we do is in like probabilistic terms. There's nothing is quite A, B as we as it may portray itself to be, everything is just a probability with things lining up and whatever. We can play this probability game forever. But if you start thinking like that more often, I think you can see the world in a different way. And maybe it's just because of like my being embedded in science for so long. And I mean, I'm, I do testing, so it's, I can't like, this is what I do. If I'm embedded in testing, like I can't help, but be like, if you test en- enough samples, you're going to find a failure eventually. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's always some, there's always some risk. Yeah. And what we haven't done at the societal level is figured out if the risk to the 
impositions that we've or the different rules that we've imposed are worth are worth it. Yeah. If the risk associated with imposing those rules is worth the benefit or if not imposing those rules is worth the risk. Yeah. It's a cost risk analysis. Yeah. And this one, you're playing at the society level, global level, (laughs) (laughs) almost realistically. And and places like, I think it was like Sweden, they, their risk assessment was that the risk to closing everything down isn't worth the reward of closing everything down. Mm -hmm. And they say, if you want to stay home, that's up to you. You should do so if you, our recommendation is that you should do so if you have underlying conditions, X, Y, Z, right? And left it at that. And so they said, old people, take caution. Right. The rest of society, you can right. take it on your own accord. Yeah, and other places did the opposite. Some places just shut the hell down. Yeah, wasn't and that South Korea that did that? I forget. They were pretty, I think they were pretty stringent. I don't remember exactly. I don't, I don't know who the, I would love to give you the most strict example. Yeah, I can't remember I who know. it would be outside of China, but who can. North Korea. <laughs> right but that's a good question it's what would be the perfect solution to this pert solution scare quotes yeah what would be the most number of rules we could impose that would stop this virus you put everybody into solitary confinement everyone yeah. if you did the thought experiment instead of social distancing you do social isolation right you just put everyone <laughs> in a solitary confinement Everyone has to work in a hamster ball. That's the question, right? So if, <laughs> all... you couldn't even oh, – well, maybe you could do that, but that's it's, ridiculous. It's a joke. But, <laughs> but it's like you put everyone in solitary confinement, but we know – and that would work because everybody's isolated, whatever, work, so to speak. In quotes. If somehow you could get everyone to comply. If the only thing you had to worry about was the virus. Right. But one, solitary confinement is like horrifically damaging. and yeah, psychologically damaging. Okay, we can do that. But the the now the risk you're taking is how damaged you're going to make your citizens. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is just – actually, it's just infeasible to do the perfect solution for that one problem because in order just to get – people would just starve to death unless everybody has a substantial amount of food, whatever, because mm-hmm. you need people transporting the food and – doing the whole supply chain and doing all this stuff. So we know that if we want the best possible solution just for COVID, yeah. that there's huge consequences of that and it's unfeasible. And we know that the other side is that there's a huge risk over there. So where in the middle do we want to draw our line? Yeah, the optimized solution here. Yeah, where are we going to draw this line here? And I think the hardest thing about this, I think too, is because it's an, it, there's a gradient depending on... I think to me, the biggest factor would be population density. Because if the gradient for me is if you live in some somewhat rural area, the odds of you being in close proximity, unless you work somewhere with close proximity, is relatively low. And if the outdoors is relatively safe in general, then therefore the rules should be less stringent for those that live in those situations. The more south in the United States, the more south you move, you're probably safer. Because warmer vitamin and sunny. D and it's right, but yes. So the more, if it's nicer weather, more often you're more likely to spend more time outside in the vitamin D. I would agree, especially being in Colorado, because it's so typically sunny there. Most people really didn't like. There didn't seem to be as much like unsettledness. Like people wore masks like indoors, 
But outside of that, everyone was just, it was like, go about your business. Yeah. But I think you had it. If we walked next to people, if we were outside, you just do put it up real quick and then put it back down as soon as you get past them. Yeah. And that's as far as it went. And that by and it's not clear that one solution for the whole thing, like that one size does fits all. Yeah. Does fit all. Like on a national level, because Oregon yeah. is gonna have less issues with this than New York. And I, I remember reading or not reading, listening to a podcast. It was Dr. Peter Tia's podcast. He had one of the I wanna say he was a SARS expert, like a researcher in how viruses move and stuff and he was working with a team that was tracking how this virus spread around and what he found out and they were pretty certain on timeline was that the virus itself didn't come from china like people were assuming it was it actually came from europe so they were talking about that with italy i don't know yeah. how true that is so what they i've did, heard some people contending that one oh maybe it's and changed it, since and then. part of it is that china was straight up lying about having any problems for one wouldn't tell anybody yeah. for way after the time where that virus got released. So it could be that the reason that we're like in Italy and these places getting first seemingly first cases before the cases in China is because China wasn't, wasn't being honest about the when their cases were showing up. Yeah. There, that could definitely be true. But from what they had done with like just fa- tracing the DNA of each strain mm-hmm. was that because a lot of the, studying abroad students were still in Europe and then they got to come home at the last minute. And so everyone exited from Europe and Italy and all that area to come home. But everyone's really got to stop in New York first. So then from New York, it's like everyone jumps across, boom, New York happens. And then everyone disperses from there. And so I just found that interesting from just a large scale spreading problem. Yeah. New York got, which railed, but so I, I don't know where I was going to go with that, but it was just like an interesting, thought, yeah, the thought of like how this thing spreads, kind of thing. And and that's it's really complicated. This gets so complicated; it's a global phenomenon. Yeah. So insofar as the globe and everything in it is a complicated system, then any phenomenon happening in that complicated system is going to be made complicated. Yeah. Just you're just <laughs> it has the to whole be. thing. There's no way around that. Even looking at the numbers of cases in any given country isn't apples to apples. No. Because if we compare – it looks like the U.S. has had more cases or whatever. And done a terrible job in, in, in quote. Compared to China, but China's fucking lying. They're not going to tell anybody their numbers. No. Because that's how the CCP works. They need to look good to maintain their – China is perfect as far as ever. Yeah. <laughs> They're <laughs> – they're not quite North Korea. They're not going to say that Xi Jinping doesn't poop. But honestly, China's its own separate podcast. Oh yeah, to to have because they've been doing some ridiculous stuff outside people. of this pandemic response. The, C- the CCP. Not, I don't know about the Chinese people. I don't know yeah, about. yeah. But the, I say that CCP. That good old singular party that they've got. Yeah, not great. Not great. I rolled my eyes. For yeah, no for no one listening. Because <laughs> me and you have had offline discussions about what they've been doing. With the you, you were one of the first per- people that told me about the Uyghur Muslims and stuff like that. I learned, and yeah, I, I learned about that. Re-education in, uh, camps. In my Central Asian history course, because there's a whole long history of tensions between Chinese and 
Uyghurs and there's cultural differences and all this stuff. But now China just says, fuck it. And they round them all up and throw them in concentration camps. Yeah. And then lie about it, even though the world is starting to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's so many convoluted things and I don't even know. Part of me wants to say too, even because of how this response to this virus has been, has heightened much of this social unrest. Part of me thinks that if the closures weren't as drastic as they had been, we wouldn't be seeing the ramifications with the social unrest across the globe. It looks bad in the United States, but I think it's just as bad in many places, many other places in the world. Yeah, and that's for a whole bunch of reasons. One of the ramifications is that things like what's happening at UM happen. Now, Mm -hmm. I should tie off that particular knot and say that... Yeah, fine. Go ahead. And just say that, uh, one, there's a lot of talk in the CCAC after they'd done this because it was blowback mm-hmm. on the Michigan ambassadors. In part be from minority student groups who believe that, I think actually, what's the word? It's rude. Rudely suggesting that the minority students will be more likely to take this low-paying job mm-hmm which I think is like condescending yeah, and assumes that very little of these students, but anyway, are more likely to take this job. And then as a result will be discriminated against by their fellow students because they're enforcing these shitty guidelines. Now, maybe that's the case. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But that was one of my allies in some sense in this fight mm-hmm. because they wanted to get rid of the ambassadors. And I wrote an op-ed about it and that was great. It got published in the Michigan Daily. I don't know what's happening since. I have another CCAC meeting on Monday the 5th. Maybe I'll get some more info then. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. We'll see. So, but to one, be continued. Right. And I haven't seen any Michigan ambassadors, but maybe I live far enough off of campus that I'm not there. Off mm-hmm. campus, so. And in the same kind of way that the university is willing to play these power games in order to mitigate or at least in a charitable interpretation in order to protect their students in a not so charitable interpretation to extend their power and protect their own ass. Mm -hmm. Probably in order to protect their own ass. So are a whole bunch of other institutions. For example, the LA mayor that we brought up in an attempt from a government institution to protect, so to speak, its citizens, the mayor suggested paying people for snitching on their neighbors. Does that protect their citizens? I think in the long run, absolutely not. It it undermines the autonomy, decency, trustworthiness, community. It destroys whole Social cohesion. Everything you can imagine starts getting destroyed by that, but there's no awareness whatsoever of that fact. So the, the, the clear and obvious problems suggest to me that it is an ignorance. It's either willful ignorance or malicious behavior. It's just power hungry sickos that have no business whatsoever being in the position that they're in. So that and how many of these stories like UM are happening across the nation right now that you'll never know about? Many. I, like, I, probably a lot more than we think. I bet. <laughs> thousands. 
And I would love to hear more of these stories from people, but uh, I'd love to, too, because when you start looking within your own groups of people in this example, it's students versus students, quite literally. When you start doing things like that drives rifts in groups of people that take very long time to repair. And in many cases, they don't get better. Until there's, you know, enough time where those animosities just dissipate because those people aren't around anymore. And the people that come in don't know about it. And it it leverages this idea of safety for the group that infringes on the autonomy of the single. (laughs) And And I get why people would think that's a good idea. But it's not... It's just not a good idea in the long run. It doesn't even philosophically hold up, even a little. And, and I mean, we've why. seen this happen through history. So if we're looking to save a group of people or keep them safe, like at the university, mm-hmm. for the sake of the group, we're, gonna, we're going to enforce a bunch of things on the individuals. And let's say, like this does, it un- undermines the autonomy of the individual, which is the thing that allows them to keep themselves safe in some sense. If you infantilize people, they aren't going to be useful for themselves. And and because the group is consisted of, it doesn't exist as an entity in its own that can be protected without the individuals. It is comprised of individuals. Then any infringement that infantilizes these individuals is making the group unsafe. So in an attempt to make the group safe, you make it unsafe. So it doesn't even hold up by its own standards. It, it mm-hmm. makes no sense. If, if you want to, if you want to protect people, there are reasonable ways of doing so. The question is: there's a value here between autonomy, a value conflict between yeah. autonomy and safety. Yeah, and you can have both, but you have to navigate it carefully. So things like masks that are reasonable, mm-hmm. isolation. If you're infected, quarantine, if you might be in temperature checks, these things are means of even just having the signs with, if you feel sick, stay home or like notifications like that. All of these (laughs) things are reasonable ways of dealing with this virus Mm -hmm. at this point. There might have been, I've heard Brett Weinstein talking about a good way we could have potentially really locked down at the beginning of this, Mm -hmm. but that window has passed. Oh yeah. So at this point, what do we do? There are ways of like imposing these rules that don't infringe on the autonomy of people because you can still go out and act and do all these things, Mm -hmm. but with some safety restrictions. Now, it becomes across the line in some sense, I think, at this point, by keeping all these specific businesses just totally closed. If I can't go to the gym, now this is a problem. Especially in part because one of the things that allows people to be that one of the things that is a good buffer against the risk of this virus is some amount of physical fitness. Yeah. Now you're actually fucking yourself. (laughs) Yeah. You're having a negative consequence that is possibly even limiting you even further. Right. And, And I even care less about that in some sense because maybe you can run outside and. Yeah. Whatever, but it's it for me. What bothers me is I have friends with a small business, and I've watched how this has affected them, and it's frightening. 
in part because it puts them at such a huge risk. They're quite literally just hemorrhaging money without any right. possible repercussions or gain to right. make that back. And I heard the statistics the other day on how many businesses closed permanently, and I, I cannot remember it, but I remember being shocked. I wish I knew that off the top of my head. But that's a huge consequence because now oh, we're yeah. back to risk and reward. Is the reward of continuing to keep these things closed when you're infringing on people's autonomy to worth the risk that we're about to have? Forget the economy as if it's just some money spitting out machine. Right. And we're just – this is like this weird left-wing interpretation of the economy. Like the economy is just some – is when somebody just cares about, about money. the economy, they just care about money. That's ridiculous. If you know any small business owners, you understand that the economy is livelihood. It's how people survive. It's how they get meaning out of their life. It's how they they show up and help other people, right? If they right. have a business that provides anything for anyone, which if you make money in a capitalist economy, you you're providing provide value. Something, <laughs> you to, it, something at all. To me, it drives me crazy in, in that sense where they look at these giant companies like Walmart and Amazon and say, look, at they're still doing so good during this pandemic. I get it. But for every company that's as big as Amazon and Walmart, they could have rode this thing out yeah. even if they didn't close right. or had to close, I should say. But for every Walmart and tar or Walmart Target and Mega Superstore that could have just dipped into the coffers and get massive loans to just ride the wave, how many small businesses that work on razor thin margins, even restaurants got hit insane for this. And most restaurants operate on such razor thin margins that yeah. to cut their the possible seating to 25% or whatever it was or 50% yeah. is not enough for them to stay in business yeah. because they just don't make enough money per plate or whatever their metric is to do that. And you're seeing that you're legitimately seeing that. And I, I hate to say it this way, but it's infantile understanding of how business logistics work. Yeah. It's, it's thoughtless because it's, it, People don't do these things, especially small businesses, because they're going to be like, I'm going to get make it rich and make my millions. And then, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. disappear in the sunset. Like they think that everybody <laughs> that owns a business is some fat cat. Right. Like wearing a suit and a cane. And <laughs> like they're the Monopoly man. Robert Barron. Robert yeah. Barron's of the world. <laughs> Rockefellers. No, they're, they're mom and pop shops. They're me. I'm, I'm technically a small business owner at this point. Right, can you imagine? You, you probably you're an online thing, so you'd probably be okay if, if you were I, making a living off of this. I mean, even if I even if I had a studio for this podcast that I had to pay, oh yeah, rent on or something. Yeah, could you imagine if it was a shared office space and you were using it and you weren't allowed to go in because of the business? I'd be shitting myself. Yeah, and you're just hemorrhaging money every month. <laughs> if I'm just guessing how much a rent of an office space would be, say two thousand a month. Huh. It started in March, so March, April, May, June, July, September, maybe things started opening in September. Right. Five months, right? Two thousand a month, and how many? Ten thousand dollars. How many businesses are in that situation right now? Many. Yeah. More than we like to say. A ton, and and I'm watching some of these people that I know with small businesses. I'll give two examples, in that are really bad situations. Mm -hmm. One is just the bad situation. Two is the reaction to the bad situation. One was a friend of mine has another friend who owns a greenhouse building mm. business. And 
they basically survive year to year. Whatever they make in that year is what keeps them afloat. And fine. But they go into houses and businesses, whatever, and build greenhouses. But they get all of their business within two months of the year. During so summer they, when everyone wants to build a greenhouse, basically? Right when COVID was going on. Yeah, because Marge, Marge would have been their ramp up into the right. building season and then they... And then they're screwed. And last I heard, they were like, we might lose it all because the whole family, it was mom and pops, literally mom and dad keep their family afloat because both of them work at this business together and run this thing in their entire, every one of their eggs are in that basket. All of their equity goes into sustaining that. I don't know where they're at now. If they are anywhere, they might be done. The other one, the business that they're in, I was just watching it psychologically. What's the emotional reaction from these people given this situation and how and it just and they're just in Michigan in particular, just dragging people along. Right. It was like they kept getting close to the weekend open and there would even be a date and then they'd be like, eh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Stringing people along. And by the time they opened, thank God, the owners were so pissed, it was frightening to me. It was unjustifiably angry and because they're getting screwed. They're hemorrhaging money. Everything's going to shit. They're getting strung along by a government that can't make up its mind and can't even be consistent with its guidelines and rules for health. And mm-hmm. it seems like everything is chaotic. Nobody knows what they're doing. And now they're suffering as a result of not even their own decision but the stupid and uninformed decisions of people that they have no control over. And they have no one to talk to or some sort of liaison right. that they can – leverage some sort of you need to do something (laughs) right help me out here just be clear with me with some decision and why you're making it because for one the fact that people can't i think they were like they couldn't go out on a boat with more than two people like why (laughs) just in some but and it was in the thing too sounds bizarre it was like they couldn't go out on a motorboat with more than two people, but if you had a non-motored boat, you could have eight. So what the fuck are we thinking here? And it's clear that the intentions are all over the map. Nobody knows what they're doing. It sounds like different people, people made people are, those decisions. Right. <laughs> well, what it some people were suggesting – I don't know if this is true, but some people were suggesting that the reason that Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, was doing this was because she had an underlying objective of reducing emissions. I don't know if that's true or not. I know fucking idea. That sounds to me like a little bit of right-wing crazy, but maybe it's true. But anyway, it doesn't matter because all these ideas are all over the map and even narratives like that are getting pushed. And now you hear, get a bunch of businesses like this particular business that had its owners furious. I saw that and I went, oh, that's – that thing is the revolutionary spirit. I and can if, see that. 100%. And if you could just – copy paste that attitude hundred thousand times over we're fucked right because to start your own business in any form you put a lot of your own for lack of a better term blood sweat and tears into making that a reality right imagine everything that you've worked for in your life being strung around demolished Not because of your own failure or anything that you did, but because of the failures of other people that you, whose behavior you have no control over. And who should be looking out for your best interest. And are not. Yeah. At least from your perspective. Right. Yeah. 
because when you look from outside looking in, from your perspective, everything looks like you're just being strung along and you're not. Right. And you may <laughs> say that's unfair and that they shouldn't think that way and whatever, but it's besides the point because in so far as that is the way that they're seeing things, then we have a problem. Yeah. At least of communication. I mean, communication is step one because I feel like if you can communicate to these people more effectively, then you can stem that negativity or the animosity or whatever friction that may be occurring and get people to understand why things are happening. Because if people have a reason as to why they're happening, then people are more okay with, you know. Yeah. I think that if we had people that like were really straightforward and yeah. honest, the transparency would be helpful because you could imagine, hey, here's the numbers I have. Here's where we're at. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. We're hoping we can get out of the you know, the thick of it in a couple months. Right. If we expect to see this number of cases per day, right. then we'll open, blah, blah, blah. It's like the whole world has started playing political games and has become dishonest. And nobody knows who to trust or what to believe. And now all they're seeing is incomprehensible decisions being made to them. And they're rightfully pissed. Yeah. Because everyone's playing this political game of jargoning and positioning on the board it's, to earn brownie points or whatever. It's selfish and it's gross. And it's like where yeah, – I, th- I almost wonder if we didn't have a politician that could come out and just be really clear and logical and rational and even if you disagree with them would just – but had the, if they had their reasons. Right. Like, I guess I don't agree with it, but I guess at least they're being honest. (laughs) Jesus, I was talking, I don't want to take us on a political tangent anymore than we already are, but just this is just an example of these kinds of things. I was talking with buddies about the hypocrisy around the Supreme Court choices is like you get both sides. Yeah, it's so strange. Took one position four years ago or whatever in 2018. Right. Yeah, when no, the last no, justice... 20, it was in 2016. Yeah. yeah. It was right before the last election. Yeah. Saying, yeah. like, one... They'd say, oh, we should wait until the new election. Because that's and how it should be. And flip-flopping. And both sides do this. I could pick out politicians that had at one point said that you should wait and now you shouldn't. I know. Or vice versa or whatever. <laughs> and you just have hypocrites everywhere. And it's clearly for political reasons, political Just game. maneuvering. And nobody... Everybody's like coming up with BS rationalizations of why they're doing this. I I would almost at this point would just appreciate it if one of those politicians went, oh yeah, no, this has nothing to do with any principal position. We're just hoping for our party to get to get Majority. Our, our guy in. Yeah. <laughs> and if somebody was just honest as shit about that, I'd be like, you're an ass, but at least you're not a dishonest ass. <laughs> like, Jesus. It's not that good, but at right. least you're upfront about it. <laughs> right. Oh my God. It's like the and if that isn't a statement about the nature of our political world right now, I don't know what is because I'm literally saying we are so starved for decency that I will take an asshole who is honest because yeah. that's better than what we're getting. It's incredible to me because I, I have conversations with people on, on Instagram of all places where I see nuanced discussion about things. And it doesn't have to be political per se, but that's where most of this stems from. And in most of these places, man, it's like the age of nuance has effectively been smashed and buried and, and forgotten. Yeah. Like the people who are willing to look at both sides and be like, they both have bad things and they both have good things. And I don't know if I agree with everyone, but 
and just look at it like that with some objectiveness is so far and few between at this point that I just look around. I'm like, where, where's everyone like just the moderate people, I guess. Yeah, where are the normal human beings? <laughs> like, like you, it's almost like weird because the longer this goes, the more and more I'm just like, I don't want to pick any side because I don't really agree with anyone. Yeah. I'm just like, I can see reasons to believe one way or the other, but it just, let's just talk about these conference, like these hard topics. Even just talking about what we did and laid out this pandemic. I don't know if I've heard anybody lay it out in the way that we've just talked about it. And it shouldn't be that difficult to, to talk honestly about this. To, to just lay it out and be like, here's how it seems to be playing out. And there are some people that I trust. I really trust Brett Weinstein. Same. I think he's been very good on this he's been one of my major sets makers listening to his dark horse podcast yeah. with his wife heather hying where they do live streams on yeah. youtube and then it goes up his podcast i love those. they're great i love that they're awesome so there's some people out there that are doing i think honest work it feels weird that it's not weird but it's interesting that the podcasting sphere is seems to be the place that most of these sense makers who the real are, ones are non-partisan or if or, you know them, they're very on. They know exactly what they. I would say, even partisan isn't quite the right word, but people who are affiliated with their party, but are really more interested in the truth than they are yes. in political gain. Yes. And so you have people who have serious disagreements, but are totally willing to discuss the facts mm -hmm. and start from like some common understanding, and really come together and really discuss the issues sincerely. Yeah. Instead of this political maneuvering bullshit that's going on. I totally agree. Because I, I enjoyed the fact I'd much rather hear people on the podcasting space than I would in other forms just because of the length in which you get to discuss these topics. Because you don't I, I feel like you could spend hours and hours discussing many of these high level problems either at a national or semi-national level and still not even really have an answer once you get through it you have points where you get it and then you have points where you're like eh, i don't know if i agree with that but here's my side of the, t the the coin and then you keep going and then all of a sudden it's here's what we agree on here's what we don't agree on and we'll have to leave it at that yeah but that's i feel like that's the only way you get to know your candidates in those situations because you don't in most cases you don't get enough of the nuanced view of who they who that person is yeah you just get the sound bites and here's what he's supposed to believe because he's x or and she. part of it too is that the person almost this is what i think part of what really pisses me off about politicians nowadays is that they what's the word delegated their autonomy to the political narrative the political party mm -hmm. gets to decide for them what they really think. And so they just keep – they've just sacrificed their nuance and ability to think honestly mm -hmm. and speak the truth as best like they can tell what, what got it them is. there in the first place? Maybe I got them there. In, in theory. I would like to think that those people who would uh, bubble think, up to the surface would be – I would hope. But I think in reality you just get a bunch of fucking political players. But these people have at best – maybe they're – I'm sure there are exceptions – because I'm talking about a group and right, you're just people are individuals. That a lot of these people have really, they've really sacrificed their honest take on the world 
for the sake of some kind of political maneuver, some party gains. See, that makes me sad. And they call it practical or pragmatic, but I, I think at this stage in the game, it's bullshit. I feel like, to me, that would make... I feel like it makes you cynical. If you lose your ideals, at least in the form of politics, I feel like if you start making decisions because it's the most practical or in line with the ideals of this group, you've lost your way. Yeah, and there's even more cynical, even more cynical dynamic that I think emerges there. Emerges mm -hmm. there is that these people over time keep playing this game and keep manipulating you the population. little bits of your soul every time. And, and they lose <laughs> all respect for the people that they're constantly tricking because they say, mm. it's, well, look, I can just trick you all the time. Mm. These people are idiots and... I know what's best. And now they become even more cynical. They think that they have no respect for their constituents whatsoever because they're just pawns in this game that they created to manipulate people. And if they had stopped manipulating people and had just been honest from the first place, then they would see from their constituents a respect for the truth that they could have, in some sense, provided. But they played the cynical game and they've been given as a gift more cynicism. And I hear this all the time. I, you can tell <laughs> there are so many people who just think, you can hear this in political conversations. People will say, I just think that People are just too stupid for to understand, and so you just tell them something. Why don't we give people the benefit of a doubt? Right. Yeah. It's it kind of now we'll tie this all the way back to the beginning about with this the advisory people that were going to go on campus. If in this case you were to infringe on the autonomy of any person through safety measure, through not allowing them to participate actively in their own political system because they're not smart enough, whatever. Isn't the whole point, to some degree, like going to school, is to elevate the level of the individual so that they can make the most informed decision for themselves, and then by proximity, the world. Because the whole point of going to school is that you learn how to be a better person in the world. Yeah. I can give a long-form argument. For this. <laughs> you, you need people to be autonomous because we're limited. So we're limited. That's an axiom. Can't get around that. Because each individual is limited, they're not going to have full access to all the information in the world, which means they're not going to see obstacles coming. Or they're not going to have all the solutions for everything. That's the way. One of the ways that we get around that is that we have distributed knowledge across the species or a culture or whatever, any group. It's distributed across. So I know things that you don't know. Yeah. And so long as we remain in communication, honest communication, you have to be telling the truth. Otherwise, we're not going to actually see the problems. We're not going to come – if you don't even have the right frame. Like foundation. If you don't have the right map, yeah. what makes you think you're going to get the direction you're trying? Why, <laughs> how are you going to get to your destination right. if the map is wrong? Or if we have two different maps and we're trying to tell, just explain it just, to you. Yeah, and we're not even – yeah, we have two different maps. This is what the fucking country is doing right now. We have two different maps. Mm -hmm. We can't agree on what map is. And we don't even have the willingness to look at each other's maps. And all we do instead of communicating is, is we yell at each other. Tell the other person that their map is stupid. <laughs> That's all we do. Genius. So if you don't even have the right map. And they're fighting over the steering wheel. 
and they're flying over the steering wheel. And we're the kids in the back, like, oh my god, you're gonna kill us. <laughs> Mom and I, I still, I actually tell you told this metaphor a little while ago with the basically United States right now is an abusive relationship with mom and dad arguing, refusing yeah. to go to therapy, and we're all the children yeah. who have to be in the background. Yeah, that's right. Except it, it's almost, yeah, it's mom and dad are driving the car arguing, yeah, <laughs> refusing to go to couples therapy, and we're sitting in the back while they fight over the steering wheel going, Oh my. You're trying to break it up. Mom, dad. Except in reality, the parents in this case are more infantile than the kids. Where are the fucking adults? You find them for me. Well, the anyway, adults anyway. in the room, please stand up. Yeah. Anyway, so. We're tangenting hard and turning into a comedy skit. There's, we're limited. We can't know everything. That knowledge then is distributed across individuals who have to communicate honestly in order to arrive at solutions and correctly identify the obstacles. Mm -hmm. That means that you need to enable those individuals to go out and discover the map. They need to fill in the map as best as the, to their ability, which yeah. means they need to be autonomous so that they can discover the truth so they can communicate that truth and have distributed knowledge and solve all these fucking problems that we have. But the universities whose responsibility it was was to provide those people with knowledge and to encourage their autonomy, right? Their mm -hmm. movement from their adolescence into adulthood and adulthood being defined in some sense by one's independence and autonomy are not doing that. And insofar as that was their responsibility and they're doing things like UM is doing, which is denying or transgressing against the autonomy of its students, it infantilizes them and undermines its entire fucking purpose. Yeah. Damn. That's – see, it's it's really interesting because it's wild because it's – I had professors myself and I remember them saying this when, you know, first day of class during that syllabus thing, they'd be like, I don't take attention in this class because you're all adults and you don't need to be here. You're paid to be here. Whatever you do is totally on you. And it's what that says is you're in control of your own destiny. Right. Quite literally. You choose not to come to class, then so be it. Right. And this is the thing. The university, if it wants autonomous individuals, needs to treat them like they are, even if they're not yet. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it exposes them to the risks of their bad behavior. Mm -hmm. And then, and maybe in an academic context, you have to actually enforce the consequences. So yeah, they can't be I, loose. Right. If I gaff off and I go, oh no, I couldn't turn in my paper on time. And I don't have a legitimate reason. Like maybe, I don't know, funeral or something. Right. Outside of emergency. <laughs> Leave that up to the faculty. And frankly, the faculty should have way more control over that than administrators. If I play that game and I don't have a good reason, I should suffer the consequences. I completely agree. I need to – if I am running through a maze blindfolded and there's a dead end, I should hit that wall. <laughs> At least so it will teach me that is not the right direction to go and I should do something else. So much of what creates an adult is actually suffering. It it in this, a weird way, yeah, absolutely. If and when you I, learn through mistakes right. more than your failures, right? And if people are just 
walking you down a paved road as road as they dump rose petals in front of you. Of course you're going to turn into a giant man child. Right. You're going to be 38 and you're going to have a con- you maybe you've accomplished something cuz you got you but, expect but you, the, like right. everything to be handed to you is, on a silver platter. Is that the human being that you'd expect moral fortitude from? No. Absolutely not. Cuz they didn't have to suffer as a result of their moral failings. Like I mean, in general, when you think of anything, right, the the metaphor you hear all the time in this scenario is diamonds are made in extreme pressure. People are made in the same way. Really good Japanese swords, they take this the metal and they put it in a furnace and it's hot as hell. And what they do is they fold the piece of metal over itself and they pound the shit out of it. And they do this time and time again. And every time it's folded and beat down – it becomes a tougher piece of metal. Mm-hmm. It's more resilient. It's folded in. What suffering does when one has a good aim and they don't want to destroy themselves in the right perspective of suffering is that suffering folds you over and it makes you into a more refined piece of metal. Mm-hmm. You become sharper and more capable and more resilient and it turns you into the adult that you need to be to navigate through a world that is fucking hard, that yeah. has real problems, right? Climate change is a real problem. And if you're not – if we don't have adults that can handle this, then why would we expect or it ever to get handled Or talk about it in an intelligent way or whatever. If you threw a bunch of children at these seriously complex issues, why would you think that they would just get solved? Mm-hmm. You need people who are going to really contend with this. We, we should be – touch on something Douglas Murray says we should be focusing on how to get to Mars mm-hmm. not on the bullshit we're focusing on now I yes there are so many catastrophe level issues in the world and yet we're distracted by these issues that are surface level in many ways and, and almost literally. Yeah. And to me, especially as someone who's an engineer who's always thought at these levels of how do you improve not just the quality of life for a singular person, which I do agree with, but also how do you use technology to leverage the quality of life for everybody? Yeah. And yet we have so many great things that have happened during this pandemic that barely made a squeak with SpaceX launching its rocket with actual people to the ISS yeah. and being successful. Did they land it? They landed it. Yeah, the whole thing. That's just so dope. It actually worked. They were the first time a U.S. rocket launched since like Challenger or whatever it was. With people on it. Yeah. With people on it. First U.S. rocket in, what is it, 50 years almost? No. 76 uh, or 80? 80s, I think. 80s, so 50, 40 years. Around 40. Fuck, it's really been that long. Around 40. <laughs> Around 40 years. A long time. Right. <laughs> and it's like when you step back and think about that, because when I see things like that and that gets streamed on Facebook, that means there's some dad out there who put that on TV with their kids watching and say, hey, look, we're going to the moon again. Or we just launched a rocket with people in it. Those little kids saw something and now they're never going to stop thinking about, I want to be one of the people that goes to Mars. Because they saw that thing. But instead, we get blasted by all these horrible protests and riots and how horrible we are to each other. 
And so no wonder people can't stop and think right, about right. how to be better for everybody. Which is in all of that too is directly tieable to the not of social media. Like so much I know. so much of it is a consequence of this insane incentivizing that happens on the social media platforms. We've already hit an hour and a half. Do we want to like do a, a segue into social media? What time is it? How much time do we got? It's a uh, 10:24 currently. I think that we continue this tomorrow. Cuz we Cuz if we hit social media, we're going to hit That's the, a long one. We're going to hit the gas and we're not going to stop. <laughs> I could feel it. I think we we call this part 1. Yeah. We come we, here for a week. Yeah. Well, My school's online, <laughs> motherfuckers. I can do this wherever I want. I'm here in Chicago. Yeah. And I'm going to be here for a week. So let's. But we'll put a pin. We'll segue into social media so that I can, when you come back on the podcast, we'll have a cohesive a narrative. Social Dilemma. So yes. I watch Social Dilemma, the podcast. We can talk about that. We can talk about social media. We can talk about the consequences that we see of it as a result of. Yeah. Consequence of tech and social media and right. just the internet as its current permutation. Cool. Because I honestly, I have a lot of feelings about it. I'll preface it here. I know a lot about how these algorithms work at an intuitive level. And most of us just look at our phones and look at social media and it's just yeah. magic. It's because they're so complex. There's yeah. so much going on behind the scenes that we have very little understanding of, especially if you have no understanding of coding or whatever. Yeah. And I don't want to put it this way that I, I'm going to villainize these companies because I think many of them went in doing this stuff with good intentions. But over time, yeah, piece by piece, when you start incentivizing the model and say, oh, we can start making a lot of money if we start running ads in this way. And look, we're getting all this data and we can just package it in this way. And now companies are going to because a company wants to see this type of person. Boom, we got it for them. Yeah. And it's through these small little steps that it starts turning against itself. And then the other side of that, which is like this scale problem that we keep iterating on is a little bit of negative when a small group of people, right? If you and your 10 friends use a program and there's a little bit of these problems that show up, not a big deal, right? Yeah. Like you work around it, no big deal. But when you have literally every person on the planet can be using these things, that little bit becomes a really big little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a percentage game. All right, we can pick this up. Part two, incoming. I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the... Uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you the listener to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing that is either a 99 cents 4.99 or 9.99 a month meaning that you 
the listener, and me, the creator, can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things. Because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast. But I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy.